This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Everyone, welcome to the latest edition of the, the Royal Blue Podcast as we um, preview it, start of a new era at Goodison Park of uh, Sean Dyche's uh, appointment. And uh, I was going to say what was uh, a hectic final uh, week of transfer window, but it, then it wasn't in, in, in many ways. No actual um, results um from that, um, if, I, if I turn to you um, first, Gav, uh, I, I imagine most Evertonians were hopeful and expecting come transfer deadline day, and uh, in the end, they delivered just a bit of disappointment. Yeah, as you talk about this, I mentioned an unexpected disappointment in that we obviously have got a limited amount of cash to, to spend, regardless of selling Gordon, and consequently. What we saw on, you know, I described it on Wednesday's pod as not a disaster, uh, the transfer window, by the end of the transfer window, because it was just, it was, the disaster was a long time before that. That was in yeah. the years from 2016 to 2019, 20, where we overheated completely. That was the disaster, and we've just paid the penalty for that ever since. And all that came ahead with, with not having any money to spend. On on Monday, uh, Monday and Tuesday, and that's it really for me. That's the explanation. Yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me. I was disappointed in that we couldn't get somebody in, but yeah. I, I would imagine we're not in a great bargaining position at the moment, Harvey, for a lot of different reasons, and for the cash strap company, forty-five million quid or forty million quid hard cash coming into the company, I think will be well spent. Um, so yeah, not disappointments, but not a surprise, and not the end of the world. Because as you said all along, Chris, it's, it's what Dice does with all the places in the header, so that's going to determine whether we stay up or not. Not the players who who came in in January. Yeah, we'll move on to that, of course. Um, Matt, um, the Anthony Gordon sale, um, forty million raising to forty-five million. It appeared um, good business if you thought that that money was going to be reinvested. Um, into the team, but for that not to happen, I mean, uh, that, that's a strange piece of business now. In retrospect, now that nobody did come through the door, yeah. And I think when when I was last on, we were all talking about this deal, and the wheels felt very much in, in motion on it, and you know, it felt very much like Dice was going to come through the door. I think that was on the Friday, um, yeah. and alas, um, you know, we we all said that this is a great deal for Everton. For a player that's shown in flashes that he can be a good player, but hasn't done it anywhere near consistently enough, who has obviously had his attitude questioned by the way in which he's conducted himself. You know, getting 40 million, rising to 45, absolutely great. But I think we all said the caveat is if Everton can go out and spend that money wisely, and and they didn't. And yeah, it just it just leaves a, a really sour taste in, in your mouth. And, uh, you know, I agree with what Gab's saying there in regards to this being a a cumulative thing where Everton have made bad decision after bad decision over many, many years that has led us to taking our medicine right now. Um, but I think that can be true. And I think the fact that January and the way in which it was handled can also be called a disaster as well. I think Everton's long-term um, route to this is a disaster. And the way in which they went about it this month and before this month in preparation for the transfer window was also a disaster. So I think there's... <laughs> There's, there's serious questions that obviously need to be answered and looked at. Um, but I think the, the, the blunt reality of it is that the joint worst team in the Premier League has, has got weaker 
everybody yeah. else around us uh, has got stronger. And and listen, you know, I, I, everybody will give the support to, to Sean Dyche going forward. The, the ground will be ready to back him at, at the weekend. I'm absolutely sure. But you know, it's for, for me, it's it's scary times now. You know, we've we've got two wings at the football club. We've got two senior centre forwards at the football club. One of whom has not shown himself being able to be fit. And for a manager who's played exclusively four four two in his ten years in the Premier League, um, yeah. that's that's you know we're, we're doing a piece there, Chris, aren't we? Just going out in the morning yeah. regards to our predicted 11s for for the team, and those front four positions just pick themselves. And you're like, right, they all those players are pretty much are guaranteed to go in. But in the same breath, you look at it and go, well, what if things aren't going well? Who's coming off the bench here? You know, there, there is there is there are no senior attacking options in the squad to change a game for Everton in a positive way if things aren't going well. And I think the fact that we've ended up in this this situation is uh, an abject failure of leadership at the top of the football club and direction and planning. And it's the whole week just made me very, very sad. And you know, I've spoken about this before, the the way in which the club's going, it's just made me feel very downtrodden. And every time I get the train into town and see that stadium, it just feels like a financial millstone now instead of a, a great new opportunity for us. And and this week's just just reinforced that. Um, it's it's very very depressing. Yeah, Gav, um, as you would expect from Sean Dyche uh, in, in his first uh, press conference ahead of the Arsenal game, he, he put a, a brave face on. He said, but look, uh, there were attempts to sign players, certainly at the time, the short time he'd been at the club. But he felt that they had, like any time he's signing players, they had to be better than what they already had. And he talked up the squad he's inherited, said there's a lot of very, very good um, players in there. Yeah, you wouldn't expect him to say, yeah. say anything different, differently, would you? What he says in public, what he says, feels in private, is obviously two completely different things. And um, yeah, it was interesting. He was saying people were working behind the scenes, but working hard is not is not enough sometimes, is it? I say my my take on it is I'm not surprised, and whatever money we had was not sufficient to bring anybody in, especially if other clubs could make a better offer. So yeah. What I'm saying goes back to what I was saying, doesn't it? Really, he's got a good squad. It's up to him to work with it and get the best out of that squad. In the, you know, by using his resources effectively, I would accept, expect to see some changes. And you know, that's it. Really, the challenge for him is he's working with players who are. I'm not saying class above what he had in Burnley, but whose expectations probably are mm-hmm. higher. And experiences have probably been a little bit more glamorous, shall we say. And that that's a challenge for Dice, isn't it, as coaching team. It's not the same challenge as Burnley. Only from a, you know, the only link it's got to Burnley is that both teams are there near the bottom of the table. In terms of the squad Stephen inherited, he's got two completely different squads. So it's up to him to make it make it work and the players to respond. My problem, as I said many times, is it's the latter one that worries me. Because for all what he says, he's got some quality players. Is the quality players with attitude and with the right attitudes, and that that's the problem is that so many times in the past for so many different managers, they certainly haven't got that attitude, and that it's up to him to change that, isn't it really? And uh, that will be that will be interesting to see if that happens. But I think I'd expect to see a few changes uh, going forward from from the from the, the sort of starting eleven and inherited off Frank. Mm-hmm. Matt, it seemed in many ways Sean Dyche was left to do quite a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of addressing these questions about um, Everton's lack of signings in 
in January and uh, given that there was uh, nothing said um, from the board themselves, obviously there was the quote um, from Farhad Mashiri beforehand where he said if we need a striker, we'll get one, uh, how they were going to improve in the second half of the season. But given that there wasn't any recruits, um, it was left to the managers to sort of deal with all that. Yeah, um, I think he dealt, dealt with it well. In fairness, didn't yeah. he? Um, I think what I think what you saw saw from Sean Dyche in that press conference was a very honest and professional man who's going to say it as it is, and his teams are going to you know exactly what you're going to get. And you know that feels like it's very much the antithesis of what is going on elsewhere in the football club at the moment. Who don't look like a professional outfit and who aren't doing things, and you don't really know what to expect from them. And you know, I think I, th- I think in regards to statements and open letters and, and radio segments and, and stuff like that. I think it's it's sort of gone beyond that, that for me now. And I know there's a lot of people that, who are very big on communication and, and I think the football club could obviously do it better. But I think, you know, there's a piece that Joe Thomas did in the week effectively about this in regards to, you know, what 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 could they come out and say at this point that would really make anyone feel better or, or would anybody be able to pay, play stock in? You know, you said it yourself there, Chris, the the football club put an interview out with the owner, was it 10 days or so before the transfer window closed, saying we will sign a striker and we didn't sign a striker. Yeah. He went on, he's been on national radio multiple times saying, I'm not going to sack this manager and has then gone on to sack this manager. And, and I know these things happen in football quite a lot and, and owners do go back on it. But, you know, the amount of broken promises and, and things that have not gone as the club have said, it's starting to stack up now. So I don't necessarily think an open letter or a radio appearance or another interview would have really gone down well. Um, and I don't really know what they can say at this point. Um, so I think for Sean Dyche, it was always going to be the case that he was going to come out and deal with it. And like I said, I think he, he dealt with it very, very well. Um, but I, I also said earlier in this week as well that I think every manager in the first press conference always comes across very well, don't they? Yeah. Um, you know, they come out and say the, the right things. They're all very media savvy. I think the only one that um, maybe didn't go so well is um, someone sent me a link to Christian Gross's first press conference as Tottenham manager, right. which was a bit which was a bit wild. But I think every Everton manager down the yeah, years, yeah. we've all watched that first press conference. We've all come away going, right, this fella gets it. This fella said the right things. We feel confident about it. And, you know, I, I felt that watching Sean Dice yesterday. But um, we've been through this situation, through this cycle so many times. You know, maybe this is unfair on, on Sean Dice. It's it's just hard to get excited about a new manager, um, especially when he's got the same group of players now. But listen, I'm ready to give me full back and, and fling myself into it again on, on Saturday. Yeah. Gav, you mentioned where the problems might lie, possibly um, psychological rather than based on, on talent. So on, on the one hand, a lot of people have been quite enthusiastic about Sean Dice seemingly to be putting the Everton players through the paces and some physically grueling sessions this week but I, I, I'd argue that all these defeats this season haven't necessarily been um, a lack of um, fitness so just how much um, sort of stock do you put in um, in Dice implementing these methods and what, what did you make of all that? Um, yeah I was just going to say Matt's obviously next time he's on Mastermind he's going to be doing Everett Manager's press conferences opening press conferences 2013 to 23 then well, do you know what, Gav? Yeah. It'd, be dead, it'd be dead easy because they're all the same, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> We've yeah. been about the same thing so often. Off so I, many I was just about coaches. to say, the other, the other born, not necessarily in the opening press conference, but at some point in their first couple of weeks, every manager says the players have inherited aren't fit enough. 
That, yeah. That's also a standard one, isn't it? You know, and, and sort of there's a bit of inference of that this week in terms of some of the some of the stuff that's come out of Finch Farm and people having the people having the shin pads on. And, um, so yeah, going back to your question though, Chris, I think it's a, it's a combination of two two or three things, isn't it? Really, I think it's a combination of fitness. Uh, definitely, we saw at the end of the Wolves game that 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 cost us really. Uh, there's a combination of lack of quality. And there's a, and and that's tied in with possibly linked to a, a, a an attitude that actually for that doesn't bode well for the team that wants to remain in the Premier League and 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 Dice has really got to work on those those three things, hasn't he? And getting them to work together as as a group. Um, just wondering whether Anthony Gordon going might sort of you know sort of make the dressing room a bit better. You know, there's been a few stories there, hasn't it? And yeah, he's, he's got he's got a big challenge there to you know that you know tackle the challenges in those three or four three or four areas for me. Mm-hmm. And it'll just be interesting to see how he, how he does it. But you be all right. You just you know you could open a man, managers opening press conferences are always pretty pretty straightforward. I think there's you do a bingo thing, couldn't you really? You know. <laughs> but, yeah, but to be fair, he uh, he handled himself okay in the circumstances. There's some difficult questions there around supporters, around the transfer window, and so on. And I thought he was in the circumstances he was perfectly, perfectly adequate in terms of his response. You know what he said. Yeah, and Matt, there was an interesting response I thought to um, him shedding some light on some of the, the things that he's done already with the players in terms of this um, anonymous survey, for want of a better word, in terms of their, their feedback over perhaps where things have been going wrong. Uh, maybe he's a bit, you know, he's certainly more than the um, sort of old school, sort of exaggerated PE teacher sort of character he's sometimes portrayed as. But yeah, a bit, a bit of psychology there from Dyson. I wonder if we get to the root of the problem that way. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting, wasn't it? I'll tell you what, I'd love to know which two players didn't do it. I'm sure we'll never... I mean, we're never going to find out, are we? But I think it was widely reported. I don't know if he said it himself, the two players declined not to do it, but I think that would be really interesting to know that. But, yeah, but yeah it's, it's it's just something different, isn't it? And, you know, I, I don't blame him for, for trying that. And I think one of the buzzwords I've heard from him, you know, in his press conferences and in some of the other interviews he's done in the past is, is about honesty, isn't it? And players being honest with each other and honest with themselves. And I suppose the fact that he's, he's put that forward is, you know, you know, it's sort of you know, doubling down on that, isn't it? Saying to the players, I want you to, you know, to, to set standards and I want you to, to, to be honest with each other. And yeah, it, it, it feels like one of those things, doesn't it? That if Sean Dice comes in and does really well, keeps everything up and we finish round mid-table, then people will go, well, that, that was a bit of a masterstroke that at the, at the start of the season. Whereas if we go down... I'm sure it'll be compared to the Brendan Rodgers free envelopes, and people will be saying it's very David Brent sort of thing to do, wouldn't it? It's 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 one of those things that I don't I don't, I don't really know how much of a, an impact it's going to have going forward. But it's at least I think what I would say about it is at least he's trying something a bit different, and and maybe you know he would have spoke to senior players at the football club, he would have spoke to staff who, who have been there before him as well, and, and tried to get to the bottom of it. He's obviously thought that this, this is a good way of going about it. So um, yeah, so, so fair play to him in that sense. Um, for, for at least having a bit of a go. Yeah. Gaffer, um, we've talked about this um, already. Uh, he's a manager at Burnley who played primarily 4-4-2 for that, the majority of that, that um, 
nine and a half year stint here at Turf Moor. I mean, he, he, he did deviate from that from time to time. I don't think he often went with the three at the back, but um, he did try it a couple of times. It was primarily 4-4-2. Uh, are we expecting him to do this with Everton? Because if you pointed out, this is a different set of players now. Um, would you expect yeah. him to that tried and trusted formation or would you expect him to perhaps spring a surprise? I think managers, I think if I was in his uh, position, I wouldn't experiment with, with something that I've not used before, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, Ancelotti had been a 4-4-2 man. He played 4-4-2, didn't he, when he first came, I think. Um, so I think he, you know, he'd be foolish to move away from that. But then you're looking at players who've been brought in, who've been playing in a 4-3-3, it's weird to fit them. And so, for example, you know, where would you play Wolby in a 4-4-2? His old position from the free doesn't exist anymore, does it? If, if yeah. you're going 4 2 so he's going to have to go yeah, wide. You know, he doesn't really want to play wide. I think that's pretty well known. Then did you, is he really a second striker? You know, so there's, 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 there's a, there opens up a couple of questions there, really. And do you want your, do you need two different fullbacks in a 4 4 2 compared to, you know, a 4 3 3? So I, I'll just be interested to see is, is, is sort of thinking around that. It's all very well saying that, but is that the best formation for your team? You know, players who've been brought in to play in maybe in a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. It's just be interesting to see. I mean, the problem, I think, of getting boring tactically about it is the 4-4-2 for me is is you get out, out manoeuvred in midfield if you're not careful. Which happened to Ancelotti at Chelsea before uh, before lockdown in March 2020, where they played 4-4-2, they played 4-3-3, and the extra man won riot. And so you've got to be careful, I think, in the modern game, to play 4-4-2 is, is how you handle that middle of middle of the park. You'd have to get one of your strikers to drop off or one of your wide men to move over, but then that, that leaves space on the other side on their side of the pitch. So I think so in terms of the players he's got. Uh, I think that might cause a, cause a problem in the short term. I think we'd be okay defensively, um, but yeah, he's he's, uh, he's. I think he'd be very surprised if he doesn't play four four two tomorrow. Very surprised. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I mean, Matt, what are your thoughts? I suppose going forward, um, he's got Godfrey to come back in, in and um, Mike. At the moment, those two probably aren't ready. So we're probably looking, as, as Gav said, at the, the midfield issues and up front, if, if it is going to be 4-4-2. I mean, what's your take on this? Yeah, well, Gav mentioned Angelotti there, didn't he? And one of the things I've sort of been thinking about this week is that well, might we see something a bit like that back four that kind of accidentally came together under Angelotti? It was, it was that spell just after, well, it was during lockdown and we played Chelsea, Leicester and Arsenal, I think in the space of a week, just after just before Christmas, and we won mm. all three games in a row. And the back four was was Holgate at right back, Godfrey at left back, uh, Keane, Amina, and obviously all those four lads are all, all still at the football club. We kept two clean sheets, thinking in those games, and it, it looked at it on paper. And you know, I I remember um, having it, managed to get a ticket in the ballot for that Chelsea game, the first one back, yeah. with only two thousand people in the the top balcony, and I was looking forward to seeing James Rodriguez play all week, and mm. then the team came out and he was injured and we had four centre-backs playing across the back four and it was like going back to the, the Walter Smith days but yeah. it, but it, but it worked, Walter. Yeah. Yeah, it, it worked <laughs> in, a, in a weird sort of way and I, I don't know if it'll go to, to that sort of thing really, maybe not quite playing four centre-backs but 
you look at someone like Godfrey in particular, and you could see him the way in which he's aggressive, his, his speed, um, you know, tenacious in the tackle. You look at him and think you'll want to get him in there somewhere. And I think with Mikalenko playing particularly poorly, I think in recent weeks maybe you might find a little spot for him at left back, and then you can have Coleman playing right back or or Patterson when he's back fit again. Um, and I, I think I don't know what Gav said about the, the midfield as well, and that that is an issue. And you know, certainly against Arsenal at the weekend, you look at a player like Odegaard, and he is the you know, the perfect player, isn't he, for exploiting that that little space that you get sometimes between the defence and the back four. But I think when you think about his Burnley teams, it was just all so narrow and all so compact, wasn't it? It was, there's no space in the middle. We're going to force you wide and get you to cross into the box and then our massive centre-arse will, will head it away. And listen, the, the squad is, is weak and is short in key areas, but we have got players you'd like to think that, that can do that. You know, Anana and Idrissi Gay are both sound, defensive-minded players in that area. They're both combative. They can, they can close up, up spaces. Um, if we can force teams wide, we've got you know, command and centre-backs in the air in, in Tarkovsky, Mina and Cody. So I think there is a, a defensive game plan there that, that could work, um, but it's just about the upper end and, and finding that little release from that constant pressure that I think is going to be really important for us. And certainly, if we haven't got Carver-Loon available for 5, 10, 15 games, whatever, between now and the end of the season, it's just being able to take the pressure off that defence for 5, 10 minutes here and there and, and give them a little bit of a break and if you've not got Dom in the team and, and that kind of focal point in that, you know, that vowel from the pressure really, then I, I don't really know how we're going to do that. Um, Gab, you've mentioned already that um, Alex Iwobi necessarily might not want to play out wide, but I'm not sure if he's any other alternative. If it, if, if it is 4-4-2 and he, he wants to be in, in the team and, and then how would you actually see the, the, the front two um, operating then, I mean, like you said, a wall we could possibly go there, Gray could th- go there, or even Mopé and Calvert-Lewin, the, the two strikers, we've only got one goal each our season, but maybe put them together, then a bit of an old school big man, small man combo. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting, I think you'll get a wall in the team, I think you have to have a wall in the team, don't you really, but not ideal. As, as Matt said though, if you, if you play a narrow four, He's effectively playing in a it's very similar. If you're playing wide right in a 4 4 2 with a narrow middle four, he's effectively playing in a similar position. He will be in a 4 3 3. So, so, so that's okay. The only problem with that is, though, whenever you solve one problem, you face another because if you play a narrow four, as Matt was saying, that means if you're going forwards, your full backs have got to provide the width, haven't you? But if you've got like a left foot on left back, who's a right footed, you know, right footed, say Godfrey. Then that causes an issue. I mean, you no, know, Seamus is not, you know, the best at getting up and down these days because of his age. So, yeah, I think um, whenever you resolve a problem, another one appears elsewhere. So, yeah, I, I think you'd have to get a Wolby in the Wolby in the team on the right hand side, and then you don't. I think a play great wide left, yeah. and then that's that 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 leaves you up front. I think that you can't learn play that he's he's fit and far and you know I I did I'd have to play Mopay wouldn't you really? I'm not sure whether how many times Mopay's played in that sort of role, but uh, Mopay maybe the other other alternative is 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 play McNeil wide left and um, Gray yeah, off the striker, which could could work if you if you've got Carver Lewin to you know knock the ball on and have Gray running off him perhaps. But it just shows you the shortages of options we've got there, really. 
and um, I think that that's going to be a problem for us. I think, yeah, uh, just, going forward, not just because of the January transfer window, but because of several several transfer windows. To be honest with you, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's not, not unsurmountable, but it's not perfect either, Chris. I think I think for me, sorry, just just thinking, you know, going through all these solutions here and thinking about how it it could work, and in like an ideal world where this this is going to, you know, go well for Everton. They're all like so reliant on Dominic Carvalhoon, aren't they? Being fit, and I, and I know we yeah. you know we're reliant we're reliant on him under Lampard, anyway. And what we've seen is a player that's probably you know I'm, I'm a huge fan of Dominic Carvalhoon, um, you know under Angelotti, I you know, always backed him. But what what we've seen from him, if we're being brutally honest, is a player that's regressed massively with, with these injuries. When he's been on the pitch, he, he's not looked the same player, and I appreciate a lot of that will be to do with him not getting the same service, but. Physically, aggressively, you know, in terms of his work rate, I think there's been there's been drop ups there, and we're relying on a player who is decreased in his output and in a few different areas, um, and we're probably even more reliant on him now in terms of the system and the way we're going to play compared to the previous manager, and it's it's putting even more pressure on him and the fact that we've lost another key attacker and we haven't gotten another centre forward and it, it just it you know, I want to go back to the January window it just makes it even more frustrating that you know we've all known this for, for so long and, and, and been saying that you know how important Dominic Carvalhoon is and how we need somebody who maybe isn't him but can replicate that influence and if he gets injured after you know in training today or gets injured in the first 10 minutes tomorrow I mean what what's how, how do you play that that Sean Dice style of football without uh, uh, you know a uh, a target man or someone who's strong in the air, you know, you just, you just chuck Ella Sims in and say, Go on, lad, off you go. I mean, I, I don't even think he's that type of player, despite being someone who's quite, you know, robust and physical. He's not someone who's going to challenge in the air and hold the ball up and bring others into play. He's very much a, a penalty box player. And it just, it's it, it just, it's ridiculous to think that we're sitting here saying that Dominic Carver Lewin now, despite being a worse player now than he was a year ago, we're more reliant on him, but we're so much more reliant on him. And it's, it, it just, it's hard to see how any of this works if he's not available for me, and that, that is that is a huge worry given his, his fitness record. Yeah, and, and Gav, obviously, it's the Royal Blue Podcast. We've talked a lot about Everton, but I mean, it's the Premier League leaders um, coming into uh, Goodison Park uh, tomorrow for the, the early kickoff, and um, see under the stewardship of former Everton uh, midfielder Mikel Arteta. Uh, it's been a strange one because Arsenal away, I think, is probably. Everton's least successful Premier League fixture in terms of points per game, isn't it? And you'll obviously be able to probably tell me that one. But but at Goodison, I mean, it can go both ways. They've had some big wins at Goodison Arsenal, but then I mean, there have been also occasions when Everton have, have turned them over. Yeah, last year um, the game Matt was talking about, there was the famous Ashley Williams game where the the um, both goalkeepers ended up in our six-yard box, didn't they, at the end of the game, which you don't see that very often, do you? That's a chance, um, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and there's the one was did, did Jack score the winner in one game against Arsenal? Was that 19, was it? Um, yes, that yeah, was that, that was the Marco Silva season, wasn't it? I think that, that was Jack's first game back in the team, wasn't it, for, for months and months? Yeah, so we've had today, we've had quite a few good results against them. It, it, it's a funny one, isn't it, really, Arteta? In that, I don't know what you think, Matt, but when he was at, when he was at Everton, he, did, he didn't strike me as being a natural coach, if you know what I mean. He, he, 
he didn't, he wasn't extrovert or he didn't, you know, and because maybe because there's obviously language issues and, and stuff. I know he spoke English, but you never think, oh, yeah, he's going to make it, you know, and he's obviously a very good coach. Never, never struck me. And, and, and I've been pleasantly surprised um, with his progress at Arsenal after after a difficult start. And if there's a lesson for anybody there, isn't it, really, over our test at Arsenal, is keep to your plan. Give your coach time, and after a while, it will, you know, if you keep your nerve, it can work. And so I've been really impressed with them, and I'm really impressed with you know, it was a great win against Man United. And the, the, champ- the championship, oh, I'm showing you eight there, aren't I? Uh, the, the Premier League is there to, uh, for them to lose, isn't it? Hopefully, uh, hopefully starting tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's mad, like, when you think about when he was appointed, because... I remember at the time, obviously, we appointed Angelotti and they appointed Arteta, didn't they? And they were both in the director's box at Goodison on the same day because we played yeah. and it was, it was a horrendous nil-nil draw. But, but before that, like the sort of discourse was that Angelotti was probably a more natural fit for Arsenal and Arteta, yeah. who was new in his coaching career and you know, wanted to build something, was probably more of a fit for Everton. And you know, obviously, who knows how that, that would have gone in the end, but... I think you're right, Gav, in terms of, you know, when I, when I think of him as an Everton player, it's, you know, he, when he's scoring goals, he's got a smile on his face. You know, you, you could see that joy sort of radiate from him, you know, messing around with, with Tim Cale and stuff like that. That's sort of how he was. And now you're looking at him on the sidelines and he's this, he's just ultra-focused, isn't he? You know, you know this is this is sort of steely gaze behind everything he does. And you very rarely see him having a joke or anything in interviews. And, and it, it just feels like he's just, soaked up every ounce of, of Pep Guardiola that he could have done in those frees at Manchester City. And you can really see the impact of Guardiola, who is of the same sort of mold, yeah. ultra-focused, tactically-obsessed manager who just doesn't ever relent. Um, it, it's there in Arteta now, isn't it? And and, and he's doing he's doing a fantastic job. I think what I would say as well is that it's, it's not just been keeping faith in him that I think has got Arsenal to where they are. I think the club have helped him out a lot, haven't they? In regard, I think yeah. Eddie there has done a good job in regards to the, the signings that they brought in. Um, obviously, an agent um, who we won't talk about was very heavily linked there, wasn't he? Um, and he hoisted players like David Luiz, uh, William, you know, Cedric on on Arsenal. And I think you know they were, they were short-term players on on massive money. And, and he, I think he's chased them out of town, effectively, and said, well, this isn't the way to go. And, and the club have have backed them. It, it, it just feels like everything's come together for them. They've got a, a really good young coach. The academy's producing amazing players like Saka and Smith Rowe. They've got the recruitment spot on and it's just it's just building and building. And I think as well, they've, they've fielded the youngest average team in the Premier League, haven't they, throughout the course of the season as well. So there's potential for them to, to get even better. Um, so <laughs> I don't want to talk them too much ahead of Saturday because I might just uh, just stay at home instead. <laughs> but um, they, they, they have been fantastic to watch and I think in the last few weeks, there's just been a few games, wasn't there, where you thought, you know, Tottenham away, how you look at that and think that's that's a tricky one. They've, they've folded a little bit of background in recent years. United the home when it's 2-2, going into the last 10 minutes, and, and they've, they've come through both with, with flying colours. And there's a flair and, um, you know, a vibrancy to the way they play, but there's a steal there as well now. And um, I, 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 think they're gonna, I think they're definitely going to go on and win it now. Yeah. No, I'm not trying to be um, clever in retrospect, but just going back to what you were saying about uh, 2019 when Silva was first sacked, and I think it was obviously before Ancelotti came into the frame, and I, I was saying at the time that I think that Arteta would have been a good one for Everton. I mean, whether I mean 
so many different managers have, have failed at Everton, whether they've been given the time and the resources to sort of work a similar project at, at Goodison Park is, is, is highly um, debatable. But before we just come to our predictions, it'd be remiss not to to mention the, the, the off-the-field issues which continue in, around the club. Um, Gaffer did a piece today at the time of publication. We still don't know whether Everton's board of directors will be um, attending tomorrow's um, fixture. A decision hadn't been um, made on that. Um, it, it's a difficult situation, isn't it, when it should be Sean Dyche's day if a new manager um, taking over, and then we've got we've got issues like this ongoing. Yeah, which he, he sort of, I mean, didn't allude to it that directly to the directors, I don't think, but he mentioned about noise, didn't he, uh, in his in his press conference, which was uh, quite interesting. Yeah, this was always the problem, wasn't it, when the board didn't attend the Southampton game? Is when do you come back? Yeah. You know, I mean, my if you want to my opinion, I'd come back tomorrow. Get it done. To, to yeah. yeah. A, because the longer it goes on, the more difficult it is to come back. And I think with it being Dice's first game, mm-hmm. I think that's where the focus should be on, won't it, really? So I I, I would come back tomorrow, you know, um, if we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. And there's obviously a safety aspect to it. But I, I would uh, I would come back tomorrow, you know, also, be interesting to see whether, in the light of what happened after the Southampton game, whether the the security about players' departures is, is different as well. Yeah. Whether the different security measures just all around mm-hmm. tomorrow, as a result of what happened against Southampton. But I, I'd like to see the ball back there tomorrow. It doesn't do anybody any favours. I think people being apart and and. I think tomorrow might be ideal because it's Dice's first game and hopefully we're all focusing focusing on that. Um, or maybe just one of the board, perhaps. Yeah. But I, I would be. I, and I, I think you've got to support your manager, haven't you? Really. Yeah, so ideally for me, I'd like to see the board back there tomorrow as a fan. Matt, whether the board are there or, or not, um, protests are planned, aren't they? Yeah, so I think there's, there's one... Um, at the, at the spell, top speller lane is another bottom speller lane. Uh, Royal Oak, people are going there, and then there's going to be a sit-in afterwards as well, akin to to the Southampton game. And you know, from what I've seen of them, that the message is come and, and protest peacefully. I think there's been provisions made for fans to, to get involved. Yeah. There's statements from the Everton Disabled Supporters Association before saying how people. It's not going to impact people who may be going to the game in a wheelchair and stuff like that, which is good. So it feels like people are being considerate and, and want this to, to be done in, in the right way, which, you know, 99.9% of it has been, hasn't it? Um, unfortunately, those incidents that Gav said there are, are ones that are, that are rare and done by a few people that have been magnified by, by social media. And, you know, that's not to condone what, what those people have done no. by any means at all. But um, it's, it, it's just so difficult, isn't it? Because... You know, what what Gav said there, I think is 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 all absolutely right. But I think the the situation that, that the club is in, and and the nature of the the or the trust or the lack of trust that there is now between the the fan base and the board, I, I don't know if there's any right way of of them doing this in, mm. in that sense, and then coming back because, like I said, everything Gav said there was right. But in the same sense, if you know if the people who weren't there at Southampton are there in the front row again on Saturday, would, would that 
potentially poison the atmosphere a little bit? Would it make people more likely to go against the, the team if, if things aren't going well? You know, would the focus be off Sean Dyche and, and his players then? And, you know, that, there's, there's that aspect of it. And then obviously the flip side of it is that if they're not there and those seats are empty again, it, it's it's a terrible look, isn't it, for, for the managers first? And the people who've appointed this fellow to come to the football club are not there to, to see his first game. It's, it's not a good look at all. So I think that the situation has just become so bad and, and so toxic that there is no right answer to it now. I think whatever decision is made tomorrow, people will be critical of it um, and there'll be there'll be valid criticisms from, from both standpoints. So it's just an almighty mess that I think could have been handled so much better than it has been. But listen, this, this, this is what happens in dysfunctional football clubs, isn't it? You get these situations and you look at them and go, there's no real right answer to this. Yeah. Well, we've come to predictions time then. I mean, you've got... To... I'll go first. I've got to remember that Evan, I think, only picked up October, but um, I'll say that they'll get something out of it and I'm going to go for um, one all. Um, how about you, Gaff? What are your thoughts? That's my bottle job. A score all the time, Chris, as well. No bottle. Tell you what, I'll be interested to see we talk about lineups. Do you think you play right footed left back tomorrow? Because it's a It's a soft sack, yeah. Hmm. I think, I think Godfrey would be ideal, but it's just whether he's yeah. fit, isn't it? Yeah, I don't yeah, think he probably isn't. I'd, I'd go with Godfrey if he was fit, but I don't... I mean, you don't know. They play the cards close to the chest, don't they? And he was sort of illusion. He wasn't quite there yet. Yeah. You know. So, I'm going to go one-all uh, again. Hopefully, it'll be a, a great occasion. I know, like, 12, 30 is not the best, but I don't, let's hope it's a good, good as an occasion tomorrow. And then Everett manages traditionally. I don't got to put the mockers on this, and I... Traditionally, get a result in their first game. So, I hope Dice, Dice continues in that, in that, yeah. you know, in, in that vein. To be honest who, with you, who was the last manager to lose the first game? I think it was uh, Billy Bingham, wasn't it? Nineteen seventy-three. I think. Wow, that's incredible. That. I think. Uh, yeah, don't. I think. It, I think it's Billy Bingham. If I, if I remember rightly. I've done that. Maybe. It's one of those stats that you don't have to use for years, but actually it gets used most seasons now, rather sadly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should talk to sack a manager every week in that yeah. case. Yeah. Or even twice in the same season on occasions. But um, yeah, yeah, we have got, we have got a good, uh, good record. Some famous victories, obviously, within that, Joe being one. Matt, any advance on one all? No, I'm just thinking how we can make that work to our advantage. Maybe like we can sack. Dice after the weekend, get Bielsa in, and we can just sack one each week, and then we can just continue that the trend for, for the rest of the season. I, and go unbeaten with with our chairman's record, Matt. Don't it? <laughs> yeah. Don't don't think that's going to be a surprising outcome. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to try and be as positive as possible. I reckon the game will pan out. Uh, I don't know if you remember. This is another Everton manager's first game. But Koeman's first game in charge, and we had uh, Spurs at home, didn't we? And Barkley scored a free kick inadvertently, and I think Lamella equalised for them. And I think we had 60 minutes there of the players like running themselves into the ground and playing really well and just hassling a team that were that were better than us and making it difficult. And then after an hour, they just ran out of legs and, and Spurs scored and, and maybe could have nicked it. But I think it might be a, a bit like that tomorrow. I think they'll, they'll feed off the energy of the crowd and the players will be desperate to, to show something. I think the manager's obviously instilled a lot in them in, in terms of the value of running and being aggressive this week. Um, so I think we'll be in the game for an hour and then cling on for the last 30 minutes. Um, so I think it's, you know, I've talked a lot about there, but I'm, I'm going to go nil-nil. <laughs> wow. 
Okay. All right. Then. Um, so um, we'll be back with you um, next week, um, regardless of, of, of what happens um, tomorrow, to reflect upon it all. And um, I've been your host, um, Chris Beasley. I've been joined by Gav Buckland and Matt Jones. It's been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.